big data. Goodness. Okay, so we're going to talk about big data. Big data. It's the thing you hear about a lot these days, isn't it, Zeke? Certainly is. Yeah. Wait, wait. Uh, title. Give us. Uh, can you introduce the vault, the text? Uh, where where yes. is this coming from? So we're reading this book by Byung Chul Han. This is a something of a book report episode, I suppose. Right. A bit of I a read report. a book. Mm-hmm. I read it's by Byung Chul Han, uh, and it is called psychopolitics psycho neoliberalism and the two new technologies of power so i read that book but i mean i don't even necessarily i don't know if like the, what we're going to talk about today is going to come from the book for the most part, but okay. uh, more or less grounded in what we've read here, but, uh, um, but yeah, but really, I just, I want to think about big data because like, I feel like it's just on the tip of everybody's tongue. You know, it's this thing, it's going to solve all these problems. It's completely ruined professional sports, I think. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe not, but is this like a grape like, against like Corsi or whatever? Yeah, I don't know, but just the statistical analysis. I. I find it pretty dull, right? And so like, but it, it finds its way into everything, right? Like every, it's the solution to everything. It's on the tip of everybody's tongue, right? Like anywhere you go, like my, my wife works for a company that basically just deals with data, right? And yeah. Large amounts of it and we're generating tons of it. And so we're, you know, it's, this is how we're going to solve all the problems. And so I, I just want to kind of like notice that big data is a big deal these days. Okay. Uh, and, and it's a thing that we're kind of concerned with. And so I think that this book just sort of like helps us think about, um, think about it beyond the sort of superficial buzzwordiness of it. Does that make sense? I think so. Um, yeah. Edward Snowden. Remember Edward Snowden? I, of course, yeah. Why did he get in trouble? Uh, for telling the truth, man. Telling the truth. What did he tell the truth about? Okay, here's the... W- quote that i always pull out of him is he's like do you guys really know what your cell phone is what is your cell phone it's a thing you pay for that does all the work the cia would ever dream of doing exactly so you give them you pay for the privilege to give them whoever they are the big eye in the sky all of your the personal details of your life the surveillance machine that beats all other surveillance machines that's that's your cell phone because what it does is is what what does it do well, it's 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 like a, a generates. Little, oh yeah, okay. There you go. It generates big data. It generates, it generates data, data about right? you, I guess. It's like it, you it being produces, the thing. It produces an enormous amount of of data about you. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's just constantly pinging off towers, and you know, you're constantly feeding things into it and talking onto it, and you know, uh, clicking on things. Right? It's it's con- you're constantly generating through your cell phone all kinds of data points. Right, all kinds of information. We'll just say that. That's all. That's all we mean when we say big data. Okay. Um, and exactly right. And 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 the thing that Snowden is is worried about is is that like you know, hey, guess what? You're 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 basically just surveilling. You're you're helping these people who are trying to surveil you. Yeah, and you're excited and happy to do it. Apparently. Yeah. Or you don't care. Or, something. or you don't care. 
You're willing so to trade like, the convenience for whatever they want. Right? Yeah, and so like, why don't we care? Right. That's that's sort of one thing I want to think about today. Right. Is yeah. why why don't we care that we're being surveilled? Right. Um, and so, like, it seems pretty clear that all this data proliferation and data collection is surveillance. Mm -hmm. But what kind of surveillance is it? That's a good okay. question. I've wondered that myself. What is the value of like yeah, gathering all that much information, as you put it, about just a dissipated lump of people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, of course, the idea is that it's supposed to tell uh, like um, businesses about consumer trends, right? You're supposed Perhaps. to be able to con you're supposed to be able to understand something about why and when people buy things uh, if you look at masses of people buying things. That's one right. way that they can supposedly use it, right? Um, right but we so, had that kind of data forever, right? And so, like, yeah, this is—is is it just more of the same, right? Like, is big data just, um, you know, like like a perfect survey machine, right? Like, you used right. to do customer surveys, and you'd you'd sample people, and you'd try to figure out what people like that way, and you'd have test markets and shit like that, right? And now you don't need that stuff because you just you have like, uh, instead of having to take a sample, you've just got everybody's info and you know what everybody's buying. Yeah. So is it, is it just, is it simply additional? Like, is it just more data or is there a sort of quantifiable shift in, in the way that data is being used in the way that surveillance operates when we've got that much of it? Right. Yeah. And that's a question that, that this book, Psychopolitics, is asking. Okay. So because, because the, the classical model that we have for surveillance is, is pretty basic, right? Like what, what would you think it is? Who's surveilling you? What, you used a, a word, right? What was it? Uh, when I said the eye in the sky? The eye in the sky, right? Or big brother, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the way that we usually think of surveillance, right? right. As, as being the eye of power sort of watching you. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. and, and I think, according to this book, like, that's not how we should think about the kind of surveillance that's going on with big data. Well, no, of course, if you're, if you're voluntarily generating it, right, then it's not uh, something that, um, that some, some sort of all-powerful uh, authority figure is trying to penetrate into your private life to find out about. It's, it's something that your um, interactions with whatever is out there yeah. um, is, is like, a, you know, your voluntary interactions with it are producing that uh, valuable data. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. But like, if you just put a security camera in a mall, right? Like you're voluntarily going to the mall and it records you being there. But okay, so we'll put it a more classical way. form of, of surveillance, wouldn't you say? That would be a more, yeah, for sure. Some, something watching you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And at the mall, presumably it's like the mall cops, some kind of police trying to make yeah. sure you're not like, gonna like steal something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, like that our classical model of surveillance is one of, of visuality, right? Like of literally somebody looking at you. Right. right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and we get that from a particular place, right? Like it was conceived of that way. So that's a kind of modern style of surveillance, right? And so like, I just want to think about that for a second, like for our listeners who probably maybe you haven't heard about this before, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, 
and contrast that with what I think the book is saying about, about big data surveillance, okay? So, um, have you heard of a fellow by the name of Michel Foucault, Zeke? Oh, I thought it was pronounced Foucault. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Uh, yeah, no, so it's Foucault. He's a Frenchman, mm. a libertine, mm. mm -hmm. right? Um, no, yeah, post-structuralist French philosopher, very, very fancy guy, lots of turtlenecks. Extremely you know central to uh, what is thought about of uh, like academic humanities these days, right? Yeah, and like he's like the philosopher of surveillance. He is. That's that's uh, to the extent of I know what I know about him. I know that um, yeah. he he discussed uh, lots of kind of key concepts about. So I don't know if you want to get into them now, but like. Um, you know, Panopticon, for example. Sure. Yeah, that's one we're going to have to talk about. Uh, yeah, Panopticon. which which features in this book, and it's sort of like a classic illustration of how um, like the apparatus of surveillance might work in in a modern world or something yeah. like that. Right. Well, I mean, he he says basically that Panopticon is the Panopticon is the the. It's like the, you know, the symbol of modernity. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, if you wanted a machine that kind of defines the modern era, it's the panopticon. And it is what? It's like a design of, like, a prison that, that where everybody, uh, all the prisoners can see each other. So that uh, something like, am I right? No, what it is is, so, you know, if you think of a classic dungeon, right? Yeah. Okay, what you did was you threw somebody in the basement and you never looked at them again. Right? And you locked the door and you chained them up and they were, you know, you had to feed them or whatever. Right. And you kind of kept them in the dark. Right. And the idea of the panopticon was uh, based on an inversion of that principle. Rather than like sort of shoving away the, the deviant into the dark to sort of rot, what we would do is bring him out into the light and make him seen. Right. Uh, make him visible, okay? And the way that it works is like, you've got a ring of cells. So there's like a, a circle, it's a circular building and there's windows, right? And each cell has a window. So the light shines in from behind and you're sort of backlit, right? And then in the center, what you've got is a control tower, okay? So there's a, a, a guard tower in the middle and from the middle, you can see every prisoner, right? And the prisoner can see you, and maybe I guess they can see all the way across. Yeah, for some reason I thought that that was key, that the, all the prisoners could see each other, but, but what you're saying is that it's really more, there's a, the, there's a vantage point where, where, where the, the authority sees, see the yeah, everybody, yeah. And, yeah. and so you never really get to sort of just hide away. Yeah. You're, you're in total exposure. Yeah, and so the idea is because you can always be seen by the guard, you'll act well. You won't right. cause trouble, right? Because you can't see the guard, but he can see you, which means there doesn't even actually have to be a guard there because all that's there is the threat of being seen. Right. So you actually internalize the guard's gaze, and this is reformatory, right? Right. You, you bring power inside, and that reforms you, and that's how we reform criminals. Right. Right. Because total now they're in every waking moment of their lives. What's that? 
through total fear every moment they're awake in their entire right. lives. And probably so you while internalize the gaze of the, of, the, of the guard and you act as though you're being watched at all times. Yeah. Right? And so you become your own prison guard. Right. So this is incredibly economical. You can Very put efficient. a lot more yeah. people in prison mm-hmm. with a panopticon mm-hmm. than you can with a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, and you, you need far fewer guards. Right? Because what you've done is... Um, Yeah, I mean, basically, you've you've uh, you've made people their own jailers. Yeah, of course, backed up by the fear of waterboarding or, you know. Oh yeah, of course, there's the broken of fingers right? or but like aggressive spanking. But like, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not, you're not forced to kind of like impose that minute to minute. You you have you have that playing on the mind of the person, and then they're just behaving themselves. Yeah. So this was, this was created by a guy named Jeremy Bentham. Do you know who Jeremy Bentham is? Uh, yeah, utilitarianism is uh, something to do with him, right? Mm-hmm. British philosopher, I guess. Father of it. Utilitarianism. Yep, British philosopher. Uh, 19th century, I want to say? Well. Someone look it up. Either yeah, end of someone the 18th, look that beginning of the 19th. He's, I'm pretty sure 19th century. So, um, he, what's, do you know what utilitarianism is, Zeke? No, but I mean, I could give you the uh, old quote that they gave me in first year. I think it's like uh, something to do with the, like, you know, the, the goal should be that um, the highest um, uh, percentage of happiness in the population. So the most amount of happiness possible for the most number of people is like what society should be shooting for. Yeah. And for Bentham, like, that's a scientific thing, right? Like, like, like. Happiness is simple. It's reducible to pleasure, right? So, like, you know, presumably we could find the units of pleasure. He called them utils, U-T-I-L, right? And, like, you could could compare, like, qualitatively different experiences, you know, somehow through a kind of science of pleasure, right? So, like, reading a good book is worth, like, four chocolate bars or something. It's not especially, like, one of the more, like, emotion-prizing philosophies right it's like when he's talking about happiness he's talking about something that we like it's not like it doesn't he doesn't like thrill your blood with his description of happiness that way these utils don't sound very like uh nice no well it's kind of dry the idea is that it's supposed to be dry it's supposed to be a science sure right and it's supposed to be super rational Mm -hmm. right like this we're going to get rid of superstitious, you know, garbage that privileges, you know, certain elites taste over the, you know, simple pleasures of the common man or whatever. And and if we're going to have this sort of democratizing, scientific, humanistic philosophy, right? And, And Bentham saw the Panopticon as a kind of practical application of this. Right? Okay. Can you go, can you explain that, how he might, uh, come to that conclusion? I mean, that seems counterintuitive that by being watched and threatened all the time that we'd be, we'd be more happy. Well, it's reformatory. From like, what? I mean, what is the, what is, the what demon, is it? The criminal. So the criminal is unhappy because, you know, they're obsessed with weird things well, or something? careful. It's not the criminal's happiness that matters, right? It's a bell curve. It's a statistic. It's a data point. It's the overall happiness of the community. Oh, I see. So, so these it's are just... people that make other people suffer 
I and so we reform them. And in so doing, the community is benefited. So when we take this uh, panopticon idea and we kind of, through Foucault, give it this exaggerated importance, we're, not, we're, we're talking about a different thing than Bentham's talking about. He's talking about this, to, to apply this to, to dangerous, uh, unhappiness-producing subcultures. And we now have imagined it through Foucault as like this thing that happens to everybody, I guess. Well, Foucault's point is like this, Bentham is a man of his time, right? Like when you think of modernity, when you think of the 19th century, what are the things that we think of? Rationality. Yeah. Right. Um, science, mm -hmm. urban life, right? Like we're now having to deal with urban populations and, and criminals. Trains. Not just like, what's that? Trains. Trains. Yeah, sure. Right. Measurement. Um, mm -hmm. The sort of, yeah, the sort of things going on. Right. And so like, like Bentham is like an excellent modern person or an excellent example of a modern person. Right. And so he just sort of like, like nobody actually ever built a fucking panopticon. Right. He just designed it. And then elements of it were already at play in places and, and, you know, are used in other ways. Like, I don't know where I live. There's these fucking like police towers. Um, that don't have anybody in them, but they're built to look like somebody could be sitting in them. Mm. And they've just got cameras, right? But it's just sort of like, there's lights on them and they, they're like in parking lots. So mm -hmm. like at night yeah, when yeah. you're walking out of the grocery store or whatever, you gotta get to the back to get to your car or whatever, like, you know, you know, like you're being watched, you're safe, criminals aren't coming here. Right, 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 right. And, um, you know, like, like if you think of like the housemanization of Paris or whatever, right? Which is when they, they started standardizing the roads and lighting up all the avenues and everything, right? Um, it's, the same, it's the same kind of thing, right? We're gonna get rid of the dark corners where evil hides, mm -hmm. right? Where, where political revolution boils up and shit, right? Like, and we're going to make everything visible and everything safe. Yeah, and accessible yeah. by the uh, police army. Yeah. Right and accessible by the police exactly, and this is this is better, right? Right. Um, so uh, that's that's the model for surveillance that we usually use to think about surveillance. Right? Is is the kind of like um, eye in the sky, as you put it, right? Yeah. That's watching that can direct uh, the forces of the police or whatever to come and see. Um, the other neat thing that Foucault does is he links this to record keeping. Because like the other thing going on at the same time, which operates according to the same kind of visual principle, even though we don't think of it as like literally somebody looking at you, right? Is, is the collection of data about people, right? So at the same time that you have, um, you know, Bentham dreaming up the panopticon and the sort of like, you know, electrification and the lighting of cities and the housemanization of Paris and the, you know, straightening of the boulevards and all that, the making visible what was dark, right? Um, at the same time, you have the proliferation of record keeping in, in schools, in hospitals, in prisons, in uh, psychiatry. And the government bureaucracy, presumably. And in government bureaucracy, right? Yeah. But, but like the, the sites that he looks at are specifically 
schools and but like we're familiar with this shit right like sure. what did they tell you when you were a kid and you were you did something bad going on your permanent record and i don't get to see it mm, right mm -hmm. so it's the same as that kind of prison uh panopticon thing right like someone else is looking at me and so i have to behave for that gaze right and the permanent record functions the same way right i don't get to see what's on the permanent record but i have to behave because it, as though something could end up there and someone could look at it, right? Mm -hmm. So for Foucault, this kind of record keeping is equally about making people visible. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that, I mean, again, because like, because my entire Panopticon, my, my whole reason for knowing what the Panopticon is, is read through Foucault. It again, it sort of displaces this thing from the Bentham concept where it's like, well, here's a good way to like, look at bad people, like look at uh, prisoners, right? Like here's like, here's a, it's got a function. And then Foucault to take that and say, uh, aren't we all in some kind of panopticon, my friends, you know, like, it's like, aren't we all kind of experiencing this, like, uh, the surveillance that, um, seems to have been lifted from a, a particular time and place where they prize this idea of, uh, making visible the behavior of the subject in a way that, was previously very hideable um, if you're not keeping those records or if you're not collecting that data. Yeah, right. It's about, it's about, like that's nice to put it, right? It's about reducing the places you can hide to sure. do bad things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you behave as though someone's always watching you, um, because someone, I, you know, because, because uh, panoptic gazes, like there's data being collected, there's security cameras, there are, psychiatrists who are going to wonder you know why you do that mm -hmm. they're going to write it on their notepad and that's another perspective that you don't have on yourself right mm -hmm. it's a, so one way of thinking about that is is it's it's perspectival power okay so it, it it always comes from without and it acts on you from without right and you have to sort of act as though you're being observed so in a world where this where like your outer movements are being monitored what have you got left where can you hide yeah so i mean your internal life right your thoughts yeah, yeah. you get to you get to retreat to your sort of internal life right and and this is interesting and Foucault doesn't really talk about this but this is certainly something that we um sort of hook, think of when we think of modernity right like like the the valorization of the internal life and the exploration of it right like if you think of 19th and 20th century novels, right? If you think of William Faulkner, if you think, uh, think of, what's Mrs. Dalloway, what's her name? Virginia Woolf, right? Like these are, these are literally sort of like um, novels that are interested specifically with the sort of like flow of conscious experience, right? Because that is the thing that is ours. That is the thing that's free. That's the thing that remains our, our, our un, disciplined domain does that make sense okay so what are you saying here then that the like the uh the subject of, of these novels the, the, the sort of the thing that's interesting to modern thinkers is not the actions of their kind of protagonists or the things that they do in public life but it's rather kind of some like you know it's like the I guess the boring thing, like the sort of internal, like, you know, do I hate my 
house? Like, do I want to renovate it or something like that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like that's, that's really where we are, right? Like that world out there, that's not our world. Like our real world is, is the sort of rich inner experience of the world. It's our feelings, it's our sensation, right? Like impressionism is, is a great example, right? Like what is being represented there is not, not the way, um, it's, it's not a realist painting or whatever, right? It's not, yep. the, it's not the world as, as represented by a camera because cameras are impersonal. It's, it's um, a conveyance of the experience. Okay, now I, say, I did say something about it being internal life and it being your thoughts, but like, um, I have a sense that that's, there's something incorrect about that. Is there, like, okay, so yeah, I should bluff. I mean, I have read this book, but like the, the sense of it being about your intellectual life is one side of it, but of course there's, more going on inside you than your intellect, right? Like artists become interested in feelings. Artists become interested in experience. Um, okay, but the important part is just like, if, if there's a sort of totalitarian gaze, right, that Foucault is noticing, right, which Bentham thinks is a good thing, right, but Foucault is noticing it's pernicious. It creates these, what he calls docile bodies, right? with no will of their own, with no, um, you know, creative uh, ways of acting, no difference in the ways that they act, right? Um, that are, you know, like that fear, like, oh, I'm just a number man to my school or whatever, you know? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and the fact that you're being watched is in a way like programming your yeah. behavior. You're, being, a, you're becoming programmed by right. the system in which you're, Kind yeah. of being watched. So the only retreat, the only the only space of freedom we have left in yeah. that scenario is is our inner life, right? Right. And you see that you know, like, um, I don't think you have to be a great scholar of modernity to to just think of the like two or three novels you may have read from the years eighteen forty four to nineteen seventy one, right? And just like if you read a novel in there, like it's it's usually from the perspective of a character, or if it's not from the perspective of the character, it's like an omniscient narrator who talks about the feelings of the character, right? Um, uh, or if you think of painting from the era, right? Like it's it's bound up with the experience of seeing. It's trying to represent that rather than trying to represent actual flowers or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. They're trying to show you what it's like to see a flower. Right. Because that's what we've got. We've just got the qualia. Okay. That which cannot be quantified. Basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I gotcha. I think I get that. Okay. Um, so, so if that's, that's the sort of flip, right? And right. So, so this is the way that we usually think about surveillance. Right? We usually think of it as this sort of outside view that's perspectival, right? That comes from a, uh, uh, that can see you from a position that you have no access to, right? And so what that means is like, you have to internalize that gaze. And so your outer body has to act a certain way, right? And you have to conform to the norms of that, uh, what that wants to do, the, the discipline. But your inner life is yours, 
Okay. Um, and we could think of big data that way as just more of that. Right. Could we? Well, people do, right? Okay. Um, I have a friend who, who works in, in, in a you know, big fancy university and like, you know, he's sort of uh, makes fun of the way that people just take Foucault and, and, and apply it, right? Like, you want to make a career, just find some concept in Foucault and just apply it to new things. Right. Like, undoubtedly, there are people who are just using the Foucaultian model of surveillance to just talk about big data. Yeah, okay. Right? Um, this book sort of says, like, no, something else is going on because what happens is we are given access to our own data. Right? And, and being given access to our own data gets rid of that one-way visuality. We get what's, what he calls that aperspectival surveillance. Mm, okay. Okay. And that's really what makes it different. Right. Right. You with me so far? Well, can I, can I bother you about one thing, though? Absolutely. I mean, uh, when you say that you can take that Foucault analysis and apply it now and so on like i don't i never took his point to be that like the disciplinary uh models have no impact on your inner life right it's like, not that they have no impact yeah yeah so like when you're saying like uh the way the place that you are you the place that you're free is in your mind or in like your inner life and then you have to like conform in the physical world. You have to perform this like obedient behavior outside, right? Like you are nonetheless affected by the, um, the, the transformation that goes on from being the person that was like outside of the institution going around robbing banks into the person who's now like inside the institution and just begged permission to go to the bathroom. Right. Absolutely. Like yeah. that's, that's affecting you inside as well as outside. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're now a person who cares about their feelings. Like, right. Like the whole point is like this modern subjectivity is a result of totalitarian surveillance. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like it's not like it's a, we, there's a story that calls it an achievement. Right. And Foucault's, Foucault's point is like, it's a symptom. Right. Right. Like this, this obsession that we have with, um, our own perspectives, individuality, basically. Okay. Sense. Does that make sense? Uh, to, yeah. Go back to the to the point. Like, go back to your point. So, so we were talking about how it's like. Um, no, no. I want to stick with this for a second, right? Like, this is good. So, the point is, right? Like, the system puts you in a box, right? And your only recourse is to say, ah but you don't know what it's like to see out of this box. Okay. The panopticon literally puts you in a box. Right. right. And then it looks at you. Right. And so like, yeah, you can't run around and rob a bank anymore. So what have you got left? Describing the world from your box. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and so like, um, so this sort of like fascination that modernity has with the perspectives of individuals, Right. For Foucault is a product of panopticism. The so then, these fools who are applying Foucault's like model to today, what are they? What are they missing then? 
What are they missing? Okay. Yeah. Well, what, what Han says is that the difference is there is no more central tower. Mm -hmm. We no longer live in a panopticon, right? The data that we have is a perspectival because what they've done is they've given us access to it, mm -hmm. right? And anybody access to it. So it's, it's no longer that there's a perspective on me that I inhabit, mm -hmm. right? But that I can't really know, right? I just have to act in presence of. Like I now am my own panoptic gaze. Right, yeah. Okay. okay. So like I'm, I now have access to my own data, is basically. Mm -hmm. And you might say, okay, what's the big deal there? Right? I might, yeah, I might. But what the difference is, right, is that what was unquantifiable, namely the subjective experience, is now quantifiable. Right? Or now only matters in terms of its quantifiability. Like the buzzword for big data is transparency. Ah, yes. Right? There is no more opacity. Right? We all know. Like Snowden told us, we all know who's collecting our data. And we know that they're doing it all the time. Right? It's not a question of, is there a guard in the tower or not? Should I act? I should just act, assume that there is and act as though there is, right? It's just like, no, yeah, they're all collecting it all the time. Well, and this is the thing with Snowden that like, like the thing that bugs me is like, you also, you don't need Snowden to tell you, you click an I agree. Yeah, you can just read button it. every exactly. time, you know, yeah. you're not going to read it. Like, let's, let's be honest, but like, you yeah. know what it says. Yeah. It says I give up everything. Yeah. And like, and, and you can sell it to whoever wants to buy it. That's true. Yeah. And, and um, everybody knows it, but, but we will react as though we're pissed off about it. Right. Every time there's an expose, that, that shit drives me crazy. Yeah. yeah. Continue. Right. And what do we want? We just like, we don't want them to stop. We just want to know who's doing it. But like Snowden is assuming a kind of old model of surveillance. Like if we're talking about people applying the old, old model of surveillance to now, like Edward Snowden is one of them. Right. Like, as you said, like, what do we have to be outraged about that? Like we didn't already know they were doing nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so what big data promises is, is precisely this, this transparency, right? It promises to make everything transparent, right? Such that nothing is, um, nothing is occluded, right? There's no perspective that, that um, you know, has lacunas because what we've got is data on everything. Does that make sense? I don't know what a lacuna is. A lacuna? It's like a part you can't see. Like, okay. look over there. You can see some stuff. Other stuff is occluded. Okay. Right? It's a, it's a part you can't see. Okay. Because by virtue of having a perspective, right, there's going to be things that are, outside, are beyond your perspective. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so, so there'll be opaque parts or things that are hidden. Yeah. And, um, yeah, what, what big data promises is that those will go away. Not, not just for um, you and me, right? Uh, not just for power, but also for you and me. Right. right. We will be able to see. Right? We can have access to the data. We can, we can do this ourselves as well, right? 
So like, forget about, you know, ideology, just look at the way people vote, right? Nate Silver can tell us mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. what's going to happen, right? And it doesn't matter, like, there is no reason why people do it. It's just that they do it. And we can get them to do it quicker than they would have done themselves. Well, this is the thing that people promised, right? But like, yeah. there's no good and bad. Like, like, data claims to be kind of amoral. Right. Yeah. yeah. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 And so, um, yeah. And like, you know, like I said before, like it's ruined sports. Like, I think this is what the thing that I hate about, about analytics and sports. And this is the thing that everybody hates about analytics and sports, right? It, it gets rid of the stuff we actually like, the narratives, the, you know, the, the magic of it. And it just turns it into a bunch of numbers and optimization of. Yeah. And just in case that, you know, people aren't picking up on this, you mean like Moneyball and like. Yeah. Moneyball. And, you know, like the, fa like the fact that like you don't need the best team with like the, you know, the dynamic underdog star or like yeah. the, you know, like the you guy who... You don't even need to watch the games. You don't even need to watch the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> In an extreme example, but that's yeah. right. That's like, you know, like um, the, the, the drama of it, uh, it becomes incidental to yeah. just whatever fact, the result will be. Based In fact, on the, the drama of it is obfuscatory. Like it, it hides the real truth of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, which is like what data makes visible. The slow, boring team should have won, but the like fast-breaking all-star flukily beat them. So like the game exactly. was wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, or or even like you know, um, well, it wasn't a fluke or anything. It wasn't like it. it it's an outlier, right? Play that That's game no 99 line. more times and, you know, that'll happen three times, but it will happen three times, right? Like, what, that's what they said about the, the Trump thing, right? Like, well, we only said it was going to be, in 2016, when Hillary lost or whatever, and everybody had been predicting it the other way, right? They're like, well, you know, this is just one of the 25% the of times or whatever. Right. It doesn't mean we're wrong. It doesn't mean we're wrong, right? <laughs> we in followed fact, the numbers and... Uh, fact, it turned, shows yeah. that we're right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you know... Don't look for a reason. Just know that if you did it again, it probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. And so you can do it again, which is basically what they did. And it oh, yeah. Happen. And it worked. <laughs> and <laughs> it right. worked. Anyway. Um, right. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of dataism. Yeah. Right? The, the sort of belief that all of this stuff actually gets us at the, the matters of fact. Right, the the truths of the matter, mm -hmm. and um, so it's no longer the privileging of anybody's particular perspective. It's just the sort of like uh, the re the replacement of um, the field of action and the field of drama with a field of of fact and number. Yeah, which sense? is. Yeah. And yeah. would you say like, uh, which makes uh, kind of, it gives you the impression that it's deterministic and it gives you the impression that it's not open-ended. Is that right. sort of part of it too? Yeah. Yeah. So like if I'm a criminal, then it was just like, you know, like I don't even have to commit the crime, but you can arrest me because like you can look at my behavior and eventually it's like leads in one. Oh, yeah. It's like the, well, I mean, that's certainly reason to intervene, right? Like, yeah. my, my school is, is full of, like, 
uh, data collection techniques to, you know, find the right moment to intervene to keep a student from failing. Right, right. Is it when they miss three classes or four classes? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is, it, is it when they get the first F or the, you know, and so it's, it's all about the collection of data, you know, to figure out the point where students go wrong so that we can correct it before we get to that point and what are the precursors to that point and, right? Like, um, has nothing to do with actually uh, making sure that anybody learns anything. It just has to do with, um, you know, finding, finding the right data points to get the right data points. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, and so that whole, like, doesn't matter if anybody actually learns anything thing is kind of the point that we're getting at here, right? We're not actually trying to produce a subject that internalizes a gaze and acts correctly anymore, which is what panopticism is about. We just want to manipulate the numbers. Okay, to what end? To the end that we just think of ourselves as numbers right? And we no longer even have uh, a relationship to our own interior life, which can't be quantified, mm. right? So even, even the sort of content of those 19th century novels now, we don't really have that anymore. Right. Because we are related to ourselves in such a way that we measure ourselves. And some would so, say great, those novels were, were full of like kind of pathetic incels who just like, you know, didn't lift or whatever. Uh, we can do better than that, right? Right, because we can maximize our, our maximum lift or whatever, right? And, and at, at the same time, like uh, become just not better, but like superior people. Right. But like, superior uh, just in numbers. Like, yeah. Like that's the point of this, right? Is like, you know, we've been given all of these tools that we use to measure ourselves, right? Where the point of our practices become about the measurements and the feelings, the experiences are incidental, right? So if panopticism was about ruling the subject by sort of, you know, implanting the view of power within the mind or whatever, such that, you know, you had this shape of, of subjectivity. Um, big data surveillance, what Han calls psychopolitics, is about emptying that out and making it all numbers. Okay, so like, if you think about lifting is a great example, right? Like, it's about beating your personal numbers. Right? It's not about like achieving any actual feat. Right? It's just about learning the most efficient way to lift the most weight or whatever. Right? Yeah. Or like, um, you know, and so like we monitor how many carbohydrates we eat and we monitor um, how much sleep we get. Right? And we get little devices that, that go on our wrists and check our, our heart rate when we're meditating, such that even meditating isn't about an inner experience anymore. It becomes about comparing the number to, the, to itself. And so um, the, the result is that we end up with an experience of ourselves, which is kind of like not an internal life, not a rich inner life full of uh, feelings, right? Rather we have uh, 
um, a statistician's relationship to our own experience. Yeah, and I suppose like the the quippy thing I was going to say, but you've already kind of responded to this. But anyway, I'll say it anyway, is like, if only there was some way we could quantify, like, or we could, uh, you know, we could find something still inside of us that we could quantify that we haven't yet. And it seems like that's the next, always the next achievement, right? Is like, you know, like the, if it's not making you healthier, then it's making you more sexually active. If it's not that, then it's about, you know, making you produce longer at work. If it's not that, it's like, you know, making sure you don't get depressed. Like there's it's sort of a, a, a fanfare every time there's something new discovered that we can kind of like empty out, as you put it, um, into the market basically. And, uh, and turn it into something that's, you know, worth something in terms of data. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. There's a couple of experiences of the modern world that we have that I just think are, are really telling, right? One is, have you had this experience before, Zeke, where like you are talking about something with your friend or with your loved ones or whatever, and then, you know, the next day or something, you get it advertised to you or something like it advertised to you? It happens constantly. Right. Yeah. Right. And so like the thing that people assume is that their phones are listening to them. Yeah, that's right. That's what I yeah. assume. Yeah. Yeah. That is big brother surveillance. You mean the old way of the thinking old surveillance. Yeah. It's possible that that's what's happening. Right. But if you go and you look at what the companies actually claim is happening and, and they do this to say like, don't worry, we're not listening to you. We're not like big brother. Right. Right. What they claim is happening is their algorithms are just so good at predicting what you are going to want that these kinds of coincidences occur. Of course. Right. Which is, yeah, so much better. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right. So much better. Right. Um, so that, that I think, it, like, it kind of sums up the difference here, right? The thing that we're afraid of with all this surveillance, right, is, is the, or the thing that, that Edward Snowden is worried about, right, when we think of it in this old way, is this like power of big brother kind of watching you all the time and you're just gonna be a number, so on and so forth, right? Um, and what's actually happening is much scarier, right? Like you have um, nothing special about you, nothing, um, interior of your own worth, worth, worth anything, right? Like that is as available to Facebook or maybe more available to Facebook that can then advertise, you know, this shit to you. Right. And so like, um, you know, like that, it's sort of like, it's what, what he calls the sort of emptying out of the self or emptying out of the psyche, right? Like there's, there's nothing hidden anymore. Right. And so there's, there's no retreat into which to, to, or there's no sort of lacuna in which to retreat. Um, so wait, are you saying that then like, you know, digital capitalism isn't like peering into my brain in order to find out what I want to buy and then sell me like a conspiracy podcast and cheese themed t-shirt 
that I will like definitely buy. They're just like, they're just trying to determine what is the exact moment when my like kind of pre-programmed state will push me into buying like a set of forks and yes. then they're just going to be there then. They don't care what, what my like stupid preferences are. They just are waiting until I'm ready to buy or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, right. And so are you, is the point. Um, the kind of freedom that was made possible, right, that was sort of the dialectical opposite of this kind of totalitarian gaze was a kind of self-creation, a kind of self-narration, where I'm the one now who tells a story about myself, right? And it maybe is about my inner self and my inner life and, and my perspective, right? And how that's special and different, right? Um, we don't have that anymore. What we have is a timeline, right? Right. Of images, of data that we collect about ourselves, right? And arrange, right? It, it doesn't tell a story, it simply documents. This happened, right? And so the point is like, um, Fuck, I don't know. What's the point? Yeah, there's a good point here, Zeke. But I well, I have something to say here. I, I don't want to like stop your track, though. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is kind of something that we uh, like kind of encountered back when we did that otaku episode. Um, if people oh, sure. have listened to that one, it's uh, otaku, the not politics of Japan, we called it. And it was about the idea that like, um, linear narrative right the kind of thing you're talking about the kind of somebody telling a story about themselves something with a character focus something with a you know like a novel right that you know tells us a, a biographical story that reveals something about a character um that's sort of something that uh literate people are familiar with we've read a lot of books and like that our mind kind of tracks that way we're able to follow meaning from the beginning yeah. of a, a novel to the end of one. And that's sort of partly how we were programmed, especially in this modern era you're talking about where, um, you know, like that, that becomes kind of critical to how we are able to uh, make sense of the world we live in. We have to have stories and we have to have meaning behind them. And then, you know, when you talk about just like a, a timeline, right, just to go back and use the otaku language, they were talking about a database. Yeah. Right. So instead of a narrative or which is linear, you have just kind of like a, a soup of, of information. Right. And you can ping into it with your little signal and get back something that either resonates or doesn't. And if you get something that resonates, you upvote it. And if you don't get something that resonates, that, that just falls away. And so you're now dealing with not a linear story, something that um, can express an inner life or or convey meaning or anything but you're rather getting like a, a kind of a series of um, uh, uh, items that are either like, you know, kind of properly contextual or don't seem quite right. Or maybe like you think they're like, you know, you're, you're intrigued by them or you feel like they're irrelevant or something, you know, you have to make like some kind of point based judgment on them and they don't fit into this broader thing that gives you, a bigger context and a, and a sense of meaning. 
I think like, you know, again, the reason we called it the not politics of Japan back then is this is the same thing. This, this is a book about not politics, right? These people that we're talking about who don't have an inner life, how can they be, uh, like, I, how can we be really like political subjects um, when, you know, our, our, our values and our interests are not uh, kind of like articulated within a field of meaning somehow, right? It's just trying to improve the, the quantitative information um, based on, I guess, like more is better or less is better, something like that usually when it comes to quantitative, right? So I think, yeah. So I, I guess just to, to finish up, just kind of like meaning kind of dissolves into these kind of bare statistical truths. Yeah. Okay. And I think, I think the point is we cease to be things that are capable of forgetting because data hangs around, pictures hang around, right? And they're ever present and they're always the same. Okay. Whereas, the old kind of autobiography depends on us forgetting certain details, inventing new ones, sewing things up, right? Making that narrative that we're talking about, about ourselves. This thing always confronts us with an incontrovertible record that doesn't change, right? So like, I've been thinking about this, like I've been using Instagram more than I ever have over the pandemic, partly because nothing ever changes. And so I need something to mark right. time. Yeah, yeah. And like, this just seems right to me. Like this, this analysis sort of like, like if you ask me what's happened in the last year, I'd tell you like almost nothing. Like it's just the same. It feels the same. It always feels the same. But mm -hmm. I can look at my timeline for a reminder of all of the different things that I did. Right? Yeah. Even though I don't have an account of those things, I don't have a memory of the feeling of the experience of all of the wonderful sensations. Right? Like, like I have pictures of my food because I can't remember what it tastes like. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, like, like my own relationship to myself is no longer one where I can retreat into my conscious experience, my memory, my, my life. Right. I have the same access to it that the overseer yeah and and like you you know so you have a you have these points on a timeline but the timeline doesn't remind you which parts you care about or you know, which parts are were, were your favorites well there's nothing to be reminded of is the yeah point, right? because like, because it's just showing no, you them again yeah because in making the timeline you're emptying it right you're you're you are saying the important thing about this experience is not the experience Experience, it's the data I collect mm -hmm. right? and that's the same as with taking snapshots of your food and taking you know um, selfies as it is when you uh, you know quantify your heartbeat on your Fitbit and count the number of steps you're taking right so the point is like it actually changes your experience of these things such that the experience of them is no longer the the important part about them, right? Or there's, there's nothing special about the inner life, right? And that, that's what this has done, right? Is it, it's not that we have, you know, we go about our lives sort of aware that we're being watched and so behaving in a way that won't cause trouble and won't bring the police, right? Rather, we go about the live, our lives 
you know, as we said at the beginning, actively monitoring ourselves and rushing to make data. Right? So we have the very perspective of the surveiller rather than just being acting in the presence of the perspective of the surveiller. That's, that's the point. And so, um, so yeah, you know, like whether, like I think the question about whether or not there could be political subjects, like that's a Foucault question, right? And like, um, you know, like whether those individuals, right, those atomized little bastards, right, of, of the big data people, of the, of the sort of classical surveillance people, right? Like they were already perhaps post-political. This is, this is a, a step beyond, I guess, being post-political. Um, it creates a different kind of, of human being. That's all. What's your, like, um, like just, I guess, personally, I guess, what, what, like, would you, do you ascribe to this idea that we've, I guess, lost something there? Because um, it sounds like a little bit, uh, I don't know what the right word is, nostalgic, I guess, to say, like, well, it almost sounds like he's describing that our rich inner lives are produced by being uh, in, the, in the sort of disciplinary system. Absolutely, right? like, yeah. And do you, do you think that's true? Sure. Well, I mean, is it true? Like, do you feel, I, I do you feel get, like it's like I, I think that I think that what what he what he says and what I think is is interesting is like okay, you had this happen. What did you get out of the rich inner life shit? You got Monet. You got Heidegger. You got Jean Paul Sartre, right? Like those those occlusions, that rich inner life that did become a point of resistance. And a, and a new articulation of being, right? And um, whether or not you think that's valuable, I'll leave that to you to decide. But like, I think that's, that's valuable. Like, I think that those works of art are, are, are neat, right? And like, and so the question is, what, what will, will that, will this have one of those? Will this have a backlash that create, that has, you know, a new perspective is there yeah but isn't it obvious that it does already it's just kind of that like we look at that time from here right so then we recognize what radical you know objections it created but we don't see that in our own current situation um because we're in it right so like you know like the, well, i don't know i mean I'm I'm asking you like because I think like I, I think that, that 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 statement is that that position to take for Han is uh, I had trouble with this throughout the whole the whole book is I, I feel like he's um, you know he's 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 assuming that like the poverty of spirit or whatever we experience now is unique where I'm sure it felt like that to be fucking Dostoevsky too but Dostoevsky nonetheless produced art right and yeah, but so that like that's that's fine that's fine of course but that doesn't mean it's the same thing yeah not the same thing it's but a completely like completely different kind of sure of downtroddenness and, and he's just describing that and, and like if you don't do that then they win right? yeah yeah i mean fair enough he it's not that he shouldn't point it out but i i just think that he gives them uh yeah i i just sort of struggle a little bit with that with that position of being like well we're here now and so, like, of course, we love the thing before, 
Um, but I think like that, you know, it's for the people later to decide what we produce that was of value in our own times um, in the same way that we decide that about like, you know. Money. Well, okay. That, that's one way to put it. Another way to put it is like, those things are now insufficient for dealing with this. Yes, we loved them, but they will not help us anymore. And we need new tools. Is another right. Reason. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And like their curiosities rather than something that, yeah. yeah. And like, I don't know if that's true, but like, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily like a romanticism or a nostalgia for a lost, you know, a lost thing that we'll never have again. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call Han too romantic or anything. Yeah. Well, do you have any Twitter excitement that you want to relate to the, to the listeners? Do you want any, do you have anything you want people to follow you as you do? Oh yes. Follow me on Twitter at bird fanzines. I have not tweeted since the last time we made an episode. So maybe I'll make a tweet tonight. Which we cut our fascinating recap of your tweet storm uh, because it was confusing and irrelevant at the time that we published oh, that, it. Oh, yeah, but that's all my tweeting ever is, is confusing and irrelevant. Ah, until this time. Everybody check them out uh, online on the World Wide Web. Um, as for me, I will not be tweeting. I'm a lurker. You can catch me on this podcast. Only. You should follow him anyway. Yeah, but I don't know what it is. It, uh, it, you, you couldn't, you, ta- you <laughs> mistagged like, me because you didn't know what I'm called. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Well, fuck it. You'll, that'll be a mystery for all you good people to find me on Twitter. Um, sayonara, I guess. Sayonara. We need, a, we need outro music. One day. Psycho. Politics. <laughs> okay, that's good.